Welcome to the All In Gospel Bible Study. Each week, we move chapter by chapter through the Bible towards a comprehensive understanding of what the Bible teaches. All In Gospel is recorded live in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, featuring Dr. Sean Dickers. You can support this broadcast by subscribing or donating at anchor.fm slash allingospel or visit the allingospel.com website. So we're in Leviticus 2. Um, I thought it might be nice. One of the things that kind of as we're going through, we're going through the different sacrifices. And there's five or five and a half sacrifices, depending on how you add it up. And we'll get into that tonight. Um, but we're studying those sacrifices. And as we're in Leviticus, and we're still kind of kicking that book off, it occurred to me that the book of Genesis was about who God is. It's like an introduction to God, right? And then Exodus is like an introduction to this new nation that he's going to choose to be his light to the world. Leviticus is like an introduction to the priesthood or like how to carry it out. And it's kind of that first book that does that. And that the job that those priests have to do, which is especially relevant because the New Testament says we are a holy priesthood. So studying this book gives us some guidance on how to live our lives and how to be part of that people, that people of God that's out there. And last week when we did the burnt sacrifice, Leviticus 1, Essentially, that's the atonement. That's the prayer of salvation. That's the, I want a relationship with God. And everything starts with that burnt sacrifice. You come before God, you give your life to him, you lay it on the wood and you let it ascend to God and you just give it as a whole and total sacrifice. Tonight, we're going to get into the second sacrifice, um, which generally goes with the burnt sacrifice. So as we go through the rest of the Bible and we see a peace offering, or, or I'm sorry, that's the next chapter, a meal or a grain offering almost always goes with a burnt offering. So there'll be a burnt offering of atonement, and then there's a meal or a grain offering, which is kind of this um, offering of generosity or a gift that gets given. So we'll dig into that. Um, and I want to, before we get too far into this... Um, I did want to start in the New Testament tonight because I, sometimes it's hard to read Leviticus and not see the connection. And I want to start with the connection tonight so you can kind of do that because Jesus was in, in arguably the eternal sacrifice in all of these or all five of them, or we are, or we become the sacrifice in some ways too. And our understanding of sacrifices is what that looks like. So in Hebrews 9, 24, the book of Hebrews is about how does the Mosaic law apply to us now that Christ has come and rose from the dead, right? So that whole book explains or gives commentary on this whole system. So I don't know if you've noticed that, but I, I'm referring to Hebrews a lot in the last few months because it really does come back to that. But listen to this one, Hebrews 9, verse 24. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true but unto heaven itself, and now appear to, in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer, him, should offer himself often, as the high priest enters into the most holy place every year with the blood of another, or these sacrifices. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed to men once to die, and after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin 
for salvation, the burnt sacrifice. Jesus was it. He ascended to heaven, not metaphorically, but actually, and then returned to earth and came back. And because he was with, without sin, he didn't deserve the consequence of death. So death rejected him, so to speak. Now we get to the grain offering, which is in this next part, um, which is a pure-hearted tribute to God and another way to say a gift offering. So you've already, you're already a believer, right? You've already done that atoning sacrifice, and now it's time. Now what do you do with your life? Verse 1, Leviticus 2. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. This is what we're going to feed Danny when she starts on her new diet, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Only we shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it, just to spice it up a bit. He shall bring it to the sons of Aaron, the priests, one of whom shall take it from it his handful of fine flour and the oil with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is the most holy of offerings to the Lord made by fire. So they're going to mix this flour with oil and frankincense, which is what's ready to make unleavened bread. Because the only thing, other thing you really add would be yeast, and you would have old school bread. right? So it's, the, it's like giving a gift jar with all the flour in it ready to make bread, but they didn't make it. So this is the most common of all stored food that would be in the ancient world, is you'd make grain, you'd grind it down to a grist, a fine flour, and then you could keep it through the year, through the season. Deuteronomy 8.8 says, this is a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. The most common foods in Canaan are going to be those basic foods. And that's what's basically asked. So... With the burnt offering, there were kind of these tiers, and we're going to see the same thing with the grain offering, where if you had a bull, you give a bull. If you're not that wealthy, you could give a sheep. If you're not that wealthy, you could give a dove. If you're not that wealthy, you could go catch a pigeon and give that. The grain offering is kind of the same thing. The first of it starts with a fine flour, which would be the highest grade or most expensive form of this. The more you grind the flour, the more expensive it is. And we kind of get that. The grain is a gift or a present. You don't have to give it. It's a free will offering. And it's a tribute meal that gets given, and it can be meat. In the case of Jacob and Esau, remember that was a grain offering that was given back in Genesis? Um, and the priests keep a portion of it, and they only take a handful and put it on the altar. So the bulk of a grain offering is kept for the priests to feed themselves. Sounds a lot like tithe, right? Um and then they keep that and they do it. They make, a sh they make up or they show intention to desire fellowship with God. So you can be atoned with God and not do the grain offering and just live your life, right? The grain offering is a different kind of thing. It's like getting connected or invested with people of God. And to take care of your priests or to take care of your pastors is one way to make that connection with God and with the people of God. That you give something of yourself to that community of believers that's there. Um, or you subscribe to this podcast. Oh, I had to get that in there. You know? <laughs> so it's one way to do that. They're going to burn it. And what's interesting here is the word burnt in the Hebrew is olah. Um, and it's it's not the same word that we saw with the burnt offering, right? Um, which is part of a memorial, or it's a memorial offering kind of thing. So it's not to burn up or to ascend to heaven. It's to give or to give memorial for something. The way they use the English word burn here is just confusing to me because it's not kind of the same thing. It's the first use of the word memorial in verse 2 that we've seen in the entire Bible. 
So I like first use, and, and they will stick that way through the rest of the Bible. First use kind of takes precedence on meaning. It means to remember, as we know it in the English, but to be reminded of a covenant often goes with this particular word, memorial. So when you give this memorial to the priests, you're being reminded of the covenant that you've made with the people of God. Any soul. Oh, I remember what I was talking about. Problem is I take these notes a few days earlier. I don't know why I put this here, though. Okay, the first couple words, when anyone, anyone for us is just anybody, right? In the Hebrew, it's not body or anyone. The anyone would be literally translated any soul that would be there. What's interesting here is they talk about people for the burnt offering, but for the grain offering, they talk about souls. Does that make sense? Like you're not talking about a person, you're talking about a spirit or a soul, which has some emphasis on the spirit or the heart of the giver in the case of the grain offering. So it's who you are that makes the offering. It's not your person that makes the offering. Usually this is done side by side. So you would make a burnt offering for your soul and you'd give a meal offering for yourself, right? So once your soul has been atoned for, now your soul can give another kind of offering to the church, to the pe to the priesthood and whatnot. So it's a gift that you offer. This has a lot to do with generosity, and that's a super touchy subject, which is why I'm glad I'm not paid to do Bible study, right? Because this is a really hard thing for, I think, pastors to talk about from the pulpit, because you're talking about generosity to the church. You're talking about giving something that's above and beyond your burnt offering to back to the people who kind of proclaim the word of God. Um, this is a serious thing, too. You can't fake generosity. And there's instances in the Bible where people try to fake generosity. Their soul is not in the right place. They haven't done the burnt offering with the grain offering, and that's actually extremely dangerous biblically. Um, the idea is that it's serious or that it has a big deal when you give this kind of offering. Cain and Abel gave these offerings. And remember, Abel's was uh, accepted and Cain's wasn't, and that's what ticked Cain off, is that God didn't accept where his soul was at when he gave this offering. And it got him in trouble, right? It's a most holy thing when it's done right. It's the best. When it's done wrong, it's not, it's not good at all. It's a get-to. It's not a have-to. This is a thing that's really tough to explain to non-believers. When we tithe, or why do you tithe? And you just say, because I can't and I want to do it out of the goodness of my heart. If you do it out of a sense of obligation, that's dangerous in the eyes of God. And I'm guilty of that. I have given my tithe because I had to, not because I wanted to. Or in my head, there's a religious obligation, but it's not the religious obligation that should do this offering. It's an outpouring of the heart that should do it. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 agrees, every person according to as he purposes in his heart let him so give, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound in every good work, as it's written, he that dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness remains forever. Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything in all bountifulness, which causes us thanksgiving before God. You give that bread to the priests, God makes everything else in your life prosper. And I want to be careful here because I'm not 
prosperity gospel in that sense. He increases the fruits of your righteousness. You become a more righteous person when you are right when it comes to these kinds of things. And it's a cheerful giver that matters. So there's a few elements here. One, the green offering is voluntary. Two, it's cheerful. Three, it's relational. God gives back. And four, there's a seed of righteousness that gets planted interchangeably when you do this sort of thing. You give the seed to the priests, and there's a seed of righteousness that they give back to you. It's a relational offering. Burnt offerings are totally burnt up. You give, and you get nothing back. You just give your life, and you don't know what's to come. A grain offering, you should expect that there's a fruit in that in your life. Verse 4. And if you bring an offering, as if you bring, and I'll start over. And if you bring as an offering a grain offering baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened unleavened wafers anointed with oil. In other words, if you can't give the proper grain and you are rich enough to have an oven in your house, this is the wealthy version of this offering. And in the same way with the burnt offering where we kind of work our way down, we do the same thing here. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, not as expensive as an oven, it shall be with fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. You shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it's presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. The priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion. Uh, Remember, this is God's. There's a covenant with God. That word memorial is the priest is not going to just take the whole tithe. They're going to give a little bit back to God and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Verse 10, and what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a most holy offering to the Lord made by fire. So there's alternatives to the grain offering is that you can bake it in your home. You can cook it with flour, with breads. I like this because if you take any community of people in any culture of the world and everybody's bringing things into the priests, they're going to start competing for who makes the best bread, right? So that when the priest smiles when you offer it, it's because I make the best bread, right? And I think that's a beautiful thing. It's taking that domestic aspect of your life and saying we want to make the best we can and give it to the king. So the best recipes come forward. Sharing of recipes probably happens. You get to know your local priest and what kind of bread they like. Oh, you like the apple muffin bread cooked without leaven or whatnot. Um, and then they bring that in. And then they, that's a way that they can bless the priesthood is they can say, here's a gift for you. Thank you for all that you do. Um, and it's kind of a beautiful thing. It's a most holy thing. Um, a pan or an oven-baked bread at that point would be, an oven would be baked, of course. Pan-baked bread in the Jewish community is known as matzah bread. Has anybody had matzah bread? I see lots of nodding heads. We live in a very Christian community. And then the flat part is just crackers or chips, right? Saltine crackers fit this description, except for there's no frankincense. There's just salt on them, right? Oh, we'll get to the salt. Um, observation, the form doesn't seem to matter very much. It's not what you give. It's that you give. And the ingredients do matter because they're symbolic. So in each one of these, notice the ingredients are repeated over and over and over again. But how you put the ingredients together, well, that's up to you. Get creative. Make your priest happy. Um, There's a lack of leaven in all of these things. The oil anoints everything, and it's sanctified by that oil. And the lack of leaven is consistently part of this equation. There should be no sin 
you should be living holy or don't give to the priesthood, right? Don't do it because you're not giving a holy gift. Notice here that it says to the Lord over and over and over again, verse eight, verse nine, verse 10, to the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord. This gift is not to the priests technically, it's to the Lord God, and then the priests get to use it to sustain themselves. So this is a book of the, the Levites and that word memorial. They're reminded that it's not about them as priests. It's about God, and it's about serving God. So they have these options that they can do it. <laughs> it occurred to me that the kind of gift you give here is there's, there's gifts that are of the soul, and there's gifts that are not. For instance, we just got done with Christmas, and we all got gifts. You can admit it that you didn't really want. So then you re-gift the gifts. That's not what you do for your grain offerings, right? So if you have something, you just kind of hand it off to your pastor and say, you know, here, you can enjoy this. That's not what we're talking about. That's not a sacrifice. It should be something that's your favorite thing to eat and you don't get to eat it. You give it to your priests. A sacrifice, something that's good. It should cost you something. And people get this in the Bible, and then they become biblical heroes, right? They get this concept. For instance, 2 Samuel 24, verse 22. This is David going up, and he wants to make... Uh, um, he goes to Aruna, and he wants to buy the threshing floor to do a sacrifice to the Lord, yes? To do this kind of offering. And he says, and Aruna says, let the Lord, the king, David take and offer up whatever seems to be good to him. Look, here are the oxen for the burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All of these, O king, Aruna has given to the king. And Aruna said to the king, may the Lord, your God, accept you. But listen to what David says. And then David, the king, says to Aruna, Arauna, am I saying that right? I don't know. No, I'm, I'm just saying it with a Minnesota accent. No, but I will surely buy it for you for a price. This is interesting, right? David says, I'm going to pay for this, even though the guy's freely offering it to King David. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver, and David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land, and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. How many times do we miss out on God's favor because we're holding something back from the Lord? Or we give things to the Lord that really don't cost us anything, right? How many times have, have I given to the Lord, but I've done the least amount possible versus what I can or the most amount possible, right? How many times have I skipped tithing in a month or cheated the Lord? And it's not cheating the Lord. He doesn't need my money. Right? It's not like the Lord is desperate for cash, like he made the universe. So he's, he's not in that kind of place. But generosity gets celebrated by the Lord because it does something to our hearts. And he can see something about our heart when we give to other people around us or when we share with things. Luke 21, 1 through 4, Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. But the one poor widow came in and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant, whatever that is. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in their, out of their abundance. She put in out of her poverty and put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Gift offerings, we give because we love God. That's it. That's the difference. Burnt offerings, we give our life because we want to 
atone for our sin and we want to start our life and our walk with God. But then you start your walk with God and this generosity starts to appear. Here's what I would recommend. If you don't have a heart for generosity, don't give. It's dangerous. You shouldn't do it. If you don't have that heart for generosity, but you think you should, like you feel guilty about that, start praying that the Lord gives you that heart. Because I honestly think a gift offering is the result of God working on your heart after you've been saved. And you start to become a different person because you start to look at your money differently and you just say, well, I just want to give something back to the Lord. And then find that community. It also implies you're in a community of believers where you can give to a pastor or you can give to a church. You can't really do that if you're not connected to your local rabbi, right? Verse 11. And we get some stipulations around the grain offering, this generosity offering. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall you for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made with fire. This is an interesting stipulation. And Moses would have had no idea why God's putting this in here. We see throughout the rest of the Bible the importance of these these ingredients and the symbolism they start to take on. Uh, Dave Gusick looks at Leaven is an image of sin. He's not the only one. Lots of people do. What leaven does to bread is it adds a little bit of sour to the bread. It corrupts the bread. It ferments or rots the bread. I know this sounds gross, but that rotting makes gas, just like it does in your belly. And that gas, when you bake the bread, makes little bubbles in the bread, and that bubble makes the bread fluffy. So we like the sin in our bread because it makes our bread light and fluffy, and it fills it with air, right? But air is empty. It has no nutritional value. It's not good for you. Symbolically speaking, in this kind of bread, he doesn't want it. That doesn't mean that Jewish people can't have bread with leaven in it. It says that you don't give that kind of bread to the church, right? In the same way, it doesn't mean you can't live a normal life that has some air in it. But when you're dealing with the church, you should not do that, right? What you give shouldn't be fluffed up. It shouldn't be exaggerated. Um, it should be what it is. Here's another piece, and this was Gusick's point. Ancient bread, they would keep a little bit of dough from the last batch of bread that they made, and they would let it rot in the closet until they made the next batch of dough. You take that little bit of dough from this batch, and you put it into the next batch, and the leaven will spread throughout the whole new batch. Same thing at the end. You keep just a little bit, and you do it. So that sin, that little bit of sin, can infect whole new batches of bread every time you make it which is why the Lord says when you give this gift of generosity, just leave that out. Leave that little bit from your past life and don't bring it into this life, right? That's tough for a lot of us as we come into the church. That to, it almost feels like you have two lives. You have the life that you live in the church and you have this life that you live in other places. And hopefully you start to work that out of your life altogether. The, the key point here is that leaven makes the bread puff up. It makes it bigger than it should be. There's an arrogance that comes with that, right? And that's why we say when somebody's pride, prideful or, or arrogant that they're puffed up. And that's where that comes from is that they're putting leaven into their life. In other words, they're coming into the church acting like they're more important than they are. That's dangerous. You shouldn't do that. So what about the... Well, <clears throat> leaven added in these things becomes something that God wants you to be wary of. And in Matthew 16, Jesus... Um, makes it very clear. How, how is it that you don't understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, right? Jesus says, this isn't about bread. Do you not get that? 
and he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They come to the church with a lot of pride and they puff themselves up beyond the human that they are. And then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees, adding something to the Bible that's a bunch of air, right? Making rules and regulations around religion that have no meaning to God, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. And to think we don't do that in our society today is, is dangerously misunderstanding how the church operates. There are people that puff things up in the church. There are people that act like they're more important than they should be. And there's people that make rules around religion that just have nothing to do with the Bible. When I was a kid, it was that boys had to wear belts. I know I'm dating myself, but if you didn't wear a belt to church, dang it, you were not holy. There was something broken with you. They were going to get you into counseling services. There would be something, you know, it was, wasn't that bad. Nor could we dance in my day. And that was something where dancing had this stigma to it. You can't dance, right? And that's still around a little bit today. But there's all sorts of things. There's nowhere in the Bible that's, in fact, it says the opposite. The Bible has many instances where people dance, but they bring it with a pure heart before the Lord, right? And they do it with that. It's not to dance in order to flirt with other people. It's to dance before the Lord out of joy and to put your worship in the right place. Beware the leaven of that idea. When you come to the church, first of all, don't come to the church with that leaven in your heart. May your soul be free of that leaven when you come there. Paul compares leaven to self-glory, right? Giving glory to yourself and adding credit to yourself. Listen to how Paul says it. 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Your glorying is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. <laughs> it's not very poetic. Since you are truly unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. It takes on a whole new meaning when you're reading about the grain sacrifice. He's talking about the grain sacrifice, this gift of generosity. Paul also uses leaven to describe believers that bring troubled debate and arguments into the church. And this one, I don't want to, yeah, I do. I want to touch a raw nerve with this. Don't bicker in the church about stupid little things. That's what this is about. Listen to what Paul says. Galatians 5, 7. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. People that come in and just want to argue and bicker, they're not of God. There's some leaven in their life because the idea that you have to be right is puffing yourself up beyond where you should be. The only person you need to be right with is God. An atonement burnt sacrifice and a gift and generosity to God. It's a very private relationship that you have with God. Next week, we'll get to the third sacrifice, which is extremely public. But these two, it's between you and God. It's not between you and other people. Okay, I want to talk about honey too. The fruit of the bee. Um, the fruit of the bee was a common addition to pagan rituals, Egyptian and Canaanite rituals. They would add honey to sacrifices. And um, God often, when we look at how he sets up the mosaic system, wants them to do the exact opposite of what they saw around them, right? So the sacrifices, the way they do this, many people that do kind of study of the Bible believe the honey removal was in direct response to those Canaanite and Egyptian religions. I don't want honey in your offerings. But it also has other places where we see what honey means. 
Um, both leaven and honey will ferment when you leave them in the dough. And fermenting is a process of rotting, and it tastes awfully good. So honey does the opposite of leaven. Leaven adds sour to your bread. Honey adds sweetness to your bread. And it's very tasty, but when it comes to this particular thing, we don't want to add sweetness either. We don't want to pretend to be something we're not and to sweeten our presentation to people when we shouldn't be. A little is okay, but before God, we're going to leave it out. It's compared to glory, just like Paul compared leaven to glory, self-glory. In Proverbs 25, 27, it's not good to eat much honey, but so search, so men search their own glory is what? For men to search out their own glory is not glory. To self-promote is not good. Don't do it in the church. Don't add that to the church. No, su no sweet, no sour. The bread comes just as it is, and when you come before the Lord, you just come as you are, right? And that's a major concept throughout the Bible. Don't give anything to the Lord in the act of sin or when you're pu puffing yourself up. Don't give to the Lord to show off because that's bad too. If anyone desires to come after me, Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It's just that simple. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever desires to lose his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is lost? Don't add anything to your covenant with God. Don't sweeten it. Don't sour it. Just have it be pure and holy. Verse 12, we get this idea of first fruits. And this is why this is almost like two offerings in one, but... First fruits and grain offering gets used interchangeably throughout the whole Bible. And here we have it in verse 12. It says, as for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. First fruits is a tithing. And we're going to see that as we go through the word of God. And it's the idea of as you walk with God, that you should be giving a normal tithe. First fruits was the first harvest of your crop. So if you had olive trees, the first round of olives that you picked, you still have a ton of olives on the tree that haven't ripened yet. I suppose apples would be better in Minnesota, right? The first batch of apples that that you're really excited about, that you're thrilled to have, that you've been working to get that harvest because it takes a while to raise those crops, that's what you give over to the priesthood. It's your first fruits. You give your first offering. It's not an exact tenth because you don't know how much of the rest of the tree is going to produce, right? It could be all you get. So you could have a storm hit the next day and the rest of your crops are gone, which makes the first fruits extremely valuable. They are the most precious of the crops because they're the ones that you have in hand, not the ones you're hoping for in the future, right? First fruits is that tithing piece and... Uh-oh. This is what you were talking about, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. There we go. What first fruits requires then is a little faith. Faith that God will provide and do what's right in your life. And that's pretty much it. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. When it comes to tithing, it's one of the only things in the Bible where God asks his people to test his faithfulness in tithing. If you don't think that God will provide when you're tithing, test him in that and check it out and see what happens. Verse 13, and every offering of your grain, every offering of your grain offering, you shall season with salt. Here's the salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking 
from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Why is salt so important? If we don't want leaven and honey, what does salt represent and where does it, where does it, first of all, Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. And you're thinking, does that mean something? Maybe, right? Um, there are other places that we can go to see where salt shows up in the Bible. Um, first, let's look at just the, the flavoring of salt. It's primarily a preservative. It sustains life. So when you cut up a cow or you have meat, instead of putting it in the refrigerator, which they didn't have, they would put salt on it. And the salt would help the meat last longer than it should. It's a preservative, right? It adds value then. It's expensive because you have to harvest it. And it was their form of refrigerator. It was their form of sustaining or preserving life in something. It's pure as a chemical compound. It's a pure compound. It's flavorful. Little, well, if you do it in the right amounts. And it is extremely valuable because it's hard to make, but it's easy to find. And I think that's an important idea. Salt is everywhere on the planet that you find salt water. All you have to do is get the water out and you have salt left over, right? Um, so salt is fairly easy to find, but it's tough to make. Um, and the ancients would use salt for friendship and a symbol of friendship wherever they use it. Um, you only use salt with the people that you cherish because you're showing that you're willing to give up value for them when they come to your house. So you know that someone's excited to see you in the ancient world when they serve you food and they put salt out for you to put on the food. So you assemble those qualities together and you get this seasoning of pure, flavorful, preserving, valuable, life-giving properties that you give with your offering. And suddenly it starts to make a lot of sense. There's a covenant of salt that's used in Numbers 18 and 2 Chronicles 13. And in both of those covenants, it's a preserving of value and a covenant of purity between people, a covenant of salt, that we're going to keep it pure. Everyone should have salt in themselves, and you, in fact, as a person, should be a salty dog. You should be a salty offering when you give things. The Old Testament uses it literally. The New Testament, when you see salt, it's almost always a figurative image. So most of us that study the New Testament all the time see it that way. Luke um, 14.34, salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land or the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Clearly, this is a reference then to the grain offering, which has to have salt with it. Put it all together. When you come before the Lord and you give generously, you don't add to it, you don't take away, you don't puff yourself up when you give your offerings. You give out of the generosity of your heart and you do it with purity. When you give to the church, you don't give with an attitude of making yourself important at the church. You do it with love and you do it with fellowship and friendship. You come into a church and you look around and maybe just be blessed at that church for six, seven months until you see where that church needs things done. And then you just start doing them, and you do them out of love, not out of pride or what you think you should be doing at the church, but this is what needs to get done, and then you do it. Mark 9.49 um, makes a reference to salt that's interesting. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its salt saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace with one another. Right? In both Gospels, it's talked about in a slightly different way. So salt has something to do with having peace with other people. And there's also references where you're not supposed to have a hard feelings towards any other person and then give offerings at the temple. You're supposed to give those offerings where you have right relationships with everybody else. 
And if you have a wrong relationship, you're supposed to go fix the relationship before you give your offering. Every offering should come with salt. Colossians 4.6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you might know that you have you that how you should answer to every person. When we speak, there should be grace in our speech. This is super hard for me because I get crabby sometimes. And then my speech is not salted. It gets snappy. That's how we talk about it in my house. Dad, you're being snappy. And snappy usually comes when I'm thinking more of myself than when I'm thinking about other people. And at that point, I need to ask forgiveness. I'm sorry I'm being so snappy. I will season my language with salt and be kind with other people and have peace with others. How you talk, how you react to others, that has to be seasoned and salted. So there's the burnt offering of atonement coming to the Lord, and then there's like, what do I do with my life? Start with your speech. Start with your relationships with other people. Start making peace with every human on this earth, even the people you don't want to make peace with. And not everyone wants to make peace back with you. Sometimes you can offer peace to people, and they don't want peace with you. Well, you've done what you can. Your conscience is clear. You're seasoned with salt, and you have peace with others. It's saltiness. If you don't have that, you've lost your flavor, and they literally said, I don't know if you caught it, it's good for the dunghill when that happens. If you pretend that you're a person of God, yet harbor hard feelings towards other people of God, you're just wasted. You're worthy of the dunghill. That's blunt language, but it's also biblical language, right? If you don't keep peace with other people, you got to fix that, or what you're giving to the Lord isn't really being accepted. We don't add salt to that ourselves. I think that's an important element here. I know I'm spending a lot of time on salt. Notice that the, the salt gets offered by the priests, not the person who gives it. This is important. Oh, Lord, I'm really working on my language. I'm working on how I talk to people. I'm working on peace with other people, and I'm struggling, and I can't get it done, and I can't do it. Well, part of that is that salt is given by the priest, not the offerer. Your relationship with those with your pastor has something to do with your relationship with every, every other person you know. Your relationship with other people of God, this is why I love sitting here at Bible study and just letting, listening to you all talk to each other, because you're ministering to one another. And you're learning how to talk to one another like believers talk to one another. And frankly, how you love one another is a demonstration of God's love on this earth. And it's beautiful to see. And I love watching that happen at Bible study. How you treat one another, how you act with one another, even when you're frustrated with one another. Not that that happens a heck of a lot. But when that does, do you make up? Do you ask forgiveness? And that's something where you show how you act with God. You remember, this is a book about the Levites. The you here is the temple. You shall add salt to the offerings. So they provide the salt. In fact, in Ezra 7, verse 22, there's a list of temple su supplies. One of them is a load of salt. So that salt needs to be in the temple. In fact, the temple, has, we see later, has an entire room dedicated. It's called the room of salt or the salt room. It's an entire room of salt where they can go in with a scooper and bring it out because they're doing this mass food production. So it's not just a barrel of salt. It's a room of salt in the temple. Something about the people of God and activity with the people of God changes who you are, changes the saltiness in your life, and helps you get the leaven out of your life. If you're not connected in with that fellowship of people, you'd have to have that in your life. I'm preaching to the choir because you all come to Bible study and some of you go to multiple Bible studies, plus you go to church and all you just are tacking it up. Um, 
but it's one of those things where when people you're talking to are like, I just don't feel, I don't feel close to God and my spiritual life is just lacking. It's, are you connected to a church? Are you in a relationship with your pastor or a pastor and having conversations? Are you in a group of people where you can minister to one another? Because that's where the salt gets added. You don't add salt to yourself. You don't have it in you. You're not that strong. Don't puff yourself up with leaven and honey thinking that you're that awesome. You're not. You need other people to add salt to your life. You don't add it yourself. See the distinction? So that salt represents an ongoing connection to the church, the removal of sin, and a purity in your life. Depending on what part of the Bible you're looking at, salt takes on a lot of meaning. So you got a burnt offering that's about atonement, reconciling with God. Now we have a right relationship. Then the grain offering goes with it. Now we have fellowship with God. If you have sin in your life, fellowship with God is awfully hard to do because God doesn't want sin around him. He's holy, right? So grain is this material. It's mostly for the priests. It's like giving cookies to Santa Claus. I don't know why I put that in my notes. It was Christmas. And it has to do with that first fruit too. So there's tithes and there's offerings. There's two kinds of ways to do this. Tithe is that first fruit 10%. Offering is just, I want to give extra because I love the people who serve in that role. Verse 14. If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads, right? So you have to do some, you have to put the work in on it. Can't just come in and dump in a load of crops, right? They actually have to prep the crops. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion. Part of it is beaten grain and part of its of its oil with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. The importance of the idea is that these green heads represent that there's work that's put into it. The oil softens the bread. And oil always softens bread. If you've gone to an Italian restaurant, they usually the bread comes crusty and you try to bite it and it's just hard. You're supposed to dip it in oil and the oil softens the bread and that's how it's supposed to work. And they, again, didn't have refrigerators, so oil, bread that got crusty was how they, that's how they served bread. That's how they still serve bread. So that oil gets added in. Oil, we've already talked about with the tabernacle, has to do with light, and here it also has to do with bread. There's a fellowship or a sweetening that comes with the Holy Spirit, and that fuels the light of the tabernacle, but it also softens the bread of life. You don't add salt to your life, and you don't add the oil either. The priests add that too. Right? And if oil represents the Holy Spirit or some sort of spiritual revival or awakening in your heart, that happens when you're in fellowship. Oil is anointing by God in Exodus 29.7. Oil anoints Jesus in Matthew 26. It casts out sickness in Mark 6.13. Oil is the fuel of God's power in our life symbolically. And it, throughout the Bible, it's there. It's not a legalistic thing. Um, you can have it or you don't, it's just for this little piece. Also, Leviticus 23.17 says these can be baked with leaven, this particular end part. Once the priests get it, they can go and bake it and put leaven in it and make the kind of good bread that they want to make. Um, so it's not something that we should look at like the Pharisees where this becomes this hard and fast rule set because there's exceptions to the rule in the Bible. Um, honey is also a first fruit, for example, in 2 Chronicles 31.5. Honey is a first fruit offering that gets given. They actually give honey 
as this kind of peace or this first fruits thing. So for proper grain offering, no such thing as of leaven or honey. When it comes to your first fruits offerings, you can have leaven or honey as part of those when you do it. That makes there's a distinction there. Grain offering, I think, is the symbolic piece. The other one's the tithe. There's such a thing as an unsatisfactory offering. I think this is an important thing for us believers, right? And I, I think this is a key point. Isaiah 66.3, listen to this. He that kills an ox as if he slew a man. He that sacrifices a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offers an oblation, a gift, as if he offered swine's blood. He that burneth incense as if he has blessed an idol. Yeah, they've chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. The motivation of the grain offering should be to serve the Lord. I love you, Lord. Thanks for atoning for my sins. Thanks for the burnt offering acceptance. I want to give something back to the Lord. It's representative of everything we have, and the right attitude is important, right? Cornelius, the Roman, remember, talks about in Acts 10, 14, thy prayers and thy alms have come up before, as a memorial before God. God even accepts this offering from like Romans that aren't part of the Jewish empire. Anyone who loves the Lord can give this kind of offering. And what's recognized with Cornelius is that the alms and the prayers came up as a memorial before God, a remembering of the covenant with God from somebody who wasn't part of the covenant community. Doesn't matter who you are, this is something that has always been accepted. And in Acts 10, 4, we get an example of that. It's not just olden stuff. It's an ongoing thing. A grain offering or a minka in the Hebrew is what's cut off or there's an oblation that comes when we see it in the Greek, right? Let me say that again. This gets renewed by the Jewish people. It's not just Old Testament. In fact, if you look forward, the book of Daniel says, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, this period of time at the end of days. These, these issues, these oblations will continue. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifices and the offerings. So the Jewish people right now don't have a temple. They're not doing these offerings properly right. They do it at a small scale, but they don't do it as a nation. And in Daniel, it implies that they're going to be doing these things again. And then you think, well, that's weird because there's no temple standing right now. Yet, and I've talked about this before, there's a temple community in Israel right now. They've got all the implements built. They've got the architectural plans built. All they need is a plot of land. And they're ready to rebuild a new temple. And Israel's a new nation and has been now for 40-some years. So it's an exciting period of history. That's pretty much one of the only things that's missing from the prophecies of Daniel is that there's going to be a temple where they give these offerings again in this proper way that's described here, Right? It's a most holy offering before the Lord. I kind of want to close on that idea. When you say something's the most holy, that means there's a ranking system, right? There's a, a pecking order of offerings. And of all the offerings we're going to talk about, this is God's favorite. And I think it's God's favorite in part because it has to do with generosity. It has nothing to do with requirement or obligation or oblation. It's a gift that you give because you just love God. It's a fellowship offering. And it's something you do because you want fellowship with God. Next week, we're going to get to the peace offering, which is a lot more about fellowship with other people, right? You give towards a feast. And it's a public offering. But this one's private. It's just your soul connecting with a soul who, of, of, of God who saved you. It's that connection that you make that's personal and intimate. It's the private kind of thank you, Lord. 
kind of thing. And it's not something that's public. It's not something that you try to get status from. And that's a beautiful thing through the Lord. It's like a, it's like saying to the Lord, you have my life. You can do whatever you want with it because I love you. What sweeter gift can the Lord get? I'm sweet's not the right word because of the honey thing. What more pure gift can God get from you than you just saying, you have my whole life. It's a blank sheet of paper. I give it over to you. You have the deed to my life property. It's yours. You can do what you want with it. Burnt offering is, I'm sorry for my sin. Please save me. Here's my offering. This one is like, I love you so much, Lord. You can have my whole life. It's a different kind of prayer, and it takes a different level of maturity because we don't make that heart in ourselves. God has to generate that heart over time in us. And it does happen, and it's a really awesome thing to see that happen. It's a want to. It's not a requirement or a have to. And I think that's what makes us pure before God. Luke 9.62 says, But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. If you're going to serve the Lord and not develop this heart of love for the Lord, this intimate fellowship with God, you're not much good to the kingdom of God. And that's a tough message to hear, but it's throughout the New Testament. If you just read the sentence after what you get on Sunday, Sunday morning, it usually is the opposite side of that argument. And I've made a habit of that over the last 20 years. And it's like, it's funny, they didn't keep reading the next three verses, um, which usually says, but if you don't do these things, the Lord doesn't really have a lot of time for you. He'll cast you out. And that's the, the thing that you don't want to see happen. Burnt offerings and atonement offerings are often paired with this because when we recognize the gift of eternal life that God's given us, we want to give back to the Lord our lives. It should be a very natural kind of thing, but it might take some time to generate it, right? We live a life softened by the oil of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews says it a lot better, and I'll wrap up with Hebrews going back there again. It explains how sacrifices are perfected in Christ. If there's such a thing as a sacrifice that gets rejected, I want to know what that is because I never want to give that kind of sacrifice, right? It's better to not give a sacrifice than to give something and have it rejected, right? Because that's just a waste. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by blood of Jesus, the burnt offering, now that you're here under the blood of Jesus, verse 20, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Listen to how he's describing this grain offering. If you're atoned by the blood of Jesus, then let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You're cleansed. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. If God loves you and you know you're forgiven, let that generate something in your heart over time. Let it stir up in you a heart to go do good works, to be a kind person, to consider others, to get the best recipe for your local priest and give them simple gifts, that these things do something to your heart when you give and when you share, when you serve, when you say, I just love what's going on here so much. How can I help? That heart is God working in you because that's how he shows other people what love looks like, people who live for others and not for themselves. This gets even better because if that happens in your heart, then in Leviticus 3, you should, that peace offering should be really exciting. 
Because if God's doing something in your spirit where you're forgiven for your sins, Leviticus 1, and you give that burnt offering and it's accepted, and then you give your grain offering, generosity, tithing, gifts, that relationship you start to slowly build with the other people of God, then what happens is you want to party and you want to have a celebration to celebrate, wow, this is an amazing thing that you and I all get to share. That there's a fellowship or a koinonia that happens with people of pure heart that want to serve the Lord, you start to see each other and recognize each other. Oh, they're there. They're coming into their own in Christ. That there's a heart of generosity that's that's happening. Therefore, we should have giant feasts and celebrate and do it. And some of those feasts, like Solomon and Hezekiah's feast, we're talking about week-long festivals with tens of thousands of bulls getting barbecued, right? Can you imagine what that city smelled like? After a week, it'd be like walking into Famous Dave's. It'd be just amazing. It's not all about the brisket. It's about the heart and the spirit that we have for God and the soul that we have for God and the good works that that should generate. And we don't do good works because we have to, right? We don't do them because we feel guilty, like, oh, I should really be doing more Bible studies. That's putting leaven into it. It's putting your own will and your own arrogance into your gifts for God. That's wrong. And it's dangerous to do that biblically. Like, people get in trouble for doing that, right? People gave that gift to Ananias and Sapphira. Remember this in the book of Acts? And they give that gift of offering to, to Peter. And they don't give the whole field. They keep a portion back for themselves. Remember, this is an intimate sacrifice. And on the intimate level, they're doing it with sin. They're holding back. They die on the spot, Right? Because the Lord wants a permanent example in the word of God that shows what he thinks about people that give with a sick heart. Don't do it. Don't give if you don't you have a generous heart and you don't want to give. Don't do it. Don't feel guilty. I feel this way sometimes about like church activities or things like you have to go to this event or that event. And it's kind of like, well, I could feel guilty about that. Or I could just say, I don't really, I can't go because I don't want to go. Like I don't have a heart for it. And I don't want to be in a position like Ananias and Sapphira where the Lord's reading my heart and not accepting my sacrifice. It's not worth it. So don't serve in your church unless you're doing it with a good heart, unless you just love what's going on there and you just want to be part of it and you want to help. Otherwise, don't feel guilty. Just be blessed. Give your burnt sacrifice to the Lord. You're still good with God. He loves you whether or not you give this offering. But this offering is the highest form and it's something that he really celebrates because it's just between you and him. And it's just that kind of simple gift. It's like prayer. It's that intimate, personal thing that only you and God know what's going on. The next offering, it's extremely public. It's peace offering, and we'll get to that next week. We'll talk a lot about festivals and parties. But let's say a word of prayer. Dear Lord and King, this is an amazingly difficult passage to absorb, especially for us as we grow in our faith, Lord. There are many times where I don't have a heart to give. I don't have a soul and a spirit that's just grateful for what you've given. And Lord, I apologize for that. Um, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my willfulness and my selfishness. And with that, Lord, I ask you to just take my life. Take my whole life. It's yours to have and it's yours with a pure heart. There's nothing in my life that I want more than I want you. So Lord, I give you that and I give you my full service. Lord, let every person in this room test their heart, measure their mind, Lord, for the degree to which they want to serve you and love you. And Lord, what you ask is so simple. What you ask is so easy. And Lord, help us to just give it, not begrudgingly, not with a hard heart. Help us, Lord, not to come into your body, the church, 
and to come before other people of God with pretense, with arrogance, with pride, to try to sweeten people up, Lord. Help us to not do that. Help us to come with the oil of the Holy Spirit that softens people, that's gracious with other people. Help us to come with the salt of purity, that we come with just a pure heart. We've got sin out of our life. We've dealt with that, Lord, and you've helped us do it. And Lord, for each person in this room that measures themselves and finds themselves lacking, Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit softens their heart, that their life can change, not because they decided to or made a willful decision, but Lord, they just watch you do your work in their heart. And over time, they look back and see how you've changed them so that they can give glory to you and give this offering with a completely pure heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you found this teaching helpful, insightful, you can support this podcast by sharing it with a friend. Screenshot it, tag it, post it on your social media.